Rick Madison here with uh, the the powerful, the Uber, uh, Gary Norcom. How how are you, sir? I'm doing excellent, Rick, and uh, good to see you again today. I do have to ask the question: How old are you? Oh, that's a that's a an I know, age. I I, know. I, I usually tell fictitious years. I don't know if I want to put this on the air. Would but, you? Would you be? You'd be over fifty. Oh yes, yes, I'm over fifty. Okay, so you you still have the energy that I I, I think supersedes a lot of people that are in their twenties, thirty. How, how do you do that? How do you do that? I don't know. I, I think I'm enthusiastic about uh, what I'm doing. Uh, you know, running a bike shop. I I enjoy it. I enjoy the interaction with the staff and with the customers. Um, I I do enjoy a, an active lifestyle as well. I think that all combines to being enthusiastic, and I think it actually takes years off off of you. I think it does. You, I, I I can tell you wake up with purpose, and I think that's that's the key. I, I had a, another fellow on, and and he said. If he wasn't purpose driven, you know, a lot of his his life force would probably leave him. Would you agree with that? I would. Yes. And I've grappled with, you know, retirement. I haven't grappled with it, but it's just I can't see it. I can't picture it because right now I'm I'm loving what I'm doing. And, uh, you know, some people might say, well, you know, you should expand your interests and hobbies so that you can move into those. But I enjoy working with people. I enjoy being around people, meeting new people. And uh, I can't picture retirement. So a lot of people get burned out by by retail because they find it chaotic uh there's a lot of stuff going on at any given time and you seem to feed a bit off of it which is unusual for for somebody that's been in retail as long as you have it it can be de-energizing at times it, it can wear you down um i think as the team at, at our our business at psychopath has grown and i have um you know more team members around me it's actually become more enjoyable. It's not It's not so dependent. You know, two or three staff, well, there's a lot that rests on your shoulders. And now I have more people to be able to take up some of that, um, some of that workload. And maybe some of the things I don't really enjoy, I can hand off to others to do and cherry pick the ones I do enjoy. Okay. Gary, you have a an outstanding team. We're going to get into what what makes up a great team, but I want to talk about what what things over the years and we're not going to single anybody out of course, but is there anything that you find is is completely debilitating for a team? So so something uh some actions or an attitude that you think just it detracts from the team. G- give me some examples of that. And then we'll, uh, then we'll work on the positive, but, but w- what are some no goes for you? Well, I think people that lack energy, um, one of my pet peeves and it just, Oh, it curls the hair on the back of my neck, um, is dragging your feet. Mm. People who walk dragging their feet. It just tells me that, I don't know. It tells me something about them that uh, that um, they don't have energy. They don't have that enthusiasm, and uh, and so that's one of my pet peeves. Um, so I'll, I'll build off of that. So I had uh, I was talking to an employer at the when the mill, the Tolco mill was was running, and uh, he this one manager said when I hired somebody, I would pick them up in the weight room. And about 30 feet away was my was my office. And he said, I would purposely clip a certain pace from the weight room to my office to see if they actually kept up. And he said, anyone who didn't keep up with this pace generally didn't work out as a hire. So it's very true. Your pace, your actual cadence to your life uh, can mean a lot for their energy level. Yeah, walk with a purpose and... Uh you know, energy. I think I, I like to see energy in a person and uh, and, and enthusiasm. Uh, you know, it's I mean, not everybody is, is built the same way. Not everybody acts the same way. And you have to accommodate that. But not everybody's outgoing and effusive. But it's just that enthusiasm of life. You can do it in a quiet way as well. And and enthusiasm at work as well. So that tells your your team members too that you are excited about being there. And and I think that's the other thing too is if you have somebody that's slowing down the energy level, it, it can actually bring down other team members. 
Oh, it can. And we've gone through periods where where we've had that and I've grappled with how to deal with it. And nobody likes to, uh, most people don't like confrontation. They don't like to pull a staff member in and, you know, read them the riot act or, or spend time with them in the back. And, or even if it comes down to it, firing them, uh, nobody likes to do that. So I think I've, I've gotten more experienced over the years with that. I think I try and address it before it gets to be a big issue. And you know what, if you speak, I think the right way and, um, and it's all in how you say things, is uh, you can turn that person around. And when you turn that person around, oh my, you have a powerful person then. Mm -hmm. Now, Gary, I have um, a thought, which is in a labor market, the one we have, which is there's, some have said, a labor shortage. You say you have an employee and a lot of people listening are might even own a business or be part of a business. You have a, a very distinct labor shortage, but you have a problem employee. What steps do you take or what advice would you give to in order because we never want to lose anybody, especially in a tight market, but also you want to make sure that there's consequences and accountability for your actions in any team. Otherwise, it brings the whole team down. So is there any thoughts or steps that you utilize in order to counteract that to make sure you don't lose the whole team and you don't lose a valuable team member? I think you have to be willing to let someone go. Even if you're short staffed, there's a problem hiring out there. I think you have to, the, the, the staff, the good ones and the not so good ones have to realize that there's a, a line that if you cross it, shortage or no shortage, you will have to let that person go. And there have been times when in the past that it got to the point of after a number of, you know, sit downs and meetings that it just didn't, didn't improve mm -hmm. and I had to fire someone and you know what the next day the whole atmosphere of the shop improved the productivity actually improved because that person was dragging other people down and people came to the table and worked harder because of that and it sends a message that you know what you're not going to put up with that and it's not fair to the team it's not just the owner of the shop, it's the rest of the team members because they're all trying to do a great job. And if someone is not, well, that's dragging them down too. So in other words, it, it's really paying homage and respect to the rest of the team to show them, listen, I understand we have, a, we have someone that's not pulling their weight and I respect you enough to actually make a move. Yes, that's, that's totally true. And I, and I think in a lot of cases, um, owners or managers don't address issues. And what's one of the skills you have to have is you have to be able to confront mm -hmm. and uh, you have to be able to maybe not enjoy it, but you have to embrace confrontation. Uh, Gary, there's a one aspect of the labor shortage, which is, you know, salaries go up and there's, but there's different things that actually resonate with employees and you've utilized quite a few of them in order to hold a very strong team. And, and so it doesn't actually have to come down to compensation. So I, I'm, th I'm thinking of the people that are listening that, again, might own a business. How do you help retain people if, if you can't pay them at the very top rate? Because obviously there's, there's only so much you can do. And I know you pay your people well. But what else can people do to make sure that the employees feel valued, appreciated, and, and they continue to want to work for you? Well, I, I think you have to show them recognition. I have to, you you have to show them appreciation. We're humans, and and you know we want to see that our work is recognized and that uh, it is appreciated, and that and that goes a long way. And I, I'm not just saying you pat somebody on the back and they're okay with you know being paid uh, you know less than what they can afford to live. Um, but yeah, and obviously you have to squeeze things. And if you can if you can improve productivity of the team, well maybe you don't have to hire that extra person. So now you have more uh, dollars available 
available to spread among the team and to reward them. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a strong believer in, in, you know, rewarding the team with the success of the business. I think um, it's important, but yes, we still have to look at the bottom line. Um, and for me, I, I, I'm quite open with them. We have staff meetings. Everyone has an opportunity to to speak and share their ideas, and we talk about it in a team atmosphere. And I think that's important too. I think the enthusiasm and the energy of everybody uh, brings up people. It makes it more enjoyable. You come to work, it's almost like it's... Uh, it's your oasis. And, and yeah, you have a job to do. There's no doubt. You can't lose sight of that. And you have to, you have to roll up your sleeves and help the customers and, and do the jobs that, that are, are required. But, but there's nothing that says you shouldn't be enjoying it. Mm-hmm. So it, when, when you sit down and, uh, and, and I, I've seen a lot of long-term employees in your employee, um, that, that has to be part of the, the equation for a lot of your long-term employees is that recognition. But how do you... How do you show that? How do you actually emphasize that? Like, give me an example of recognition that you could share. Well, I, you know, if I get a compliment from a from a customer on the telephone or in person, you know, I, I share that not only with them complimenting a particular staff member that helped them out, but make sure that others uh, are around to recognize it, not to make others feel bad that, oh, gee, we didn't get a compliment. No, it's a, it's a, a team atmosphere. I, I don't believe in our business uh, a commission salespeople work. I think that that divides the team. It doesn't pull the team together. But I think a recognition in front of your peers um, of that staff member is is important. It's, you know, they want to feel like you know, they're a valuable asset to the team and and that it's recognized by everybody, not just the boss or the manager. So that's very interesting. You are, you do not have commission people on the sales floor. Why why did you choose to go that way? I think uh, I think it leads to and I can't speak for other businesses. It apparently works well in a lot of other industries. I I have a you know a bonus system that I work out um, uh, and pay out more frequently it used to be semi-annually then quarterly now it's like per paycheck so that it's a lot more immediate and it's the success of the team and 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 different team members contribute differently and and how can I have pay a, a salesperson commission on selling a bike when you know maybe two or other two or Three other staff members have contributed to that sale. They've got the bike prepped or they spoke to the customer on the phone or they spoke to them when they just came in months ago or the mechanic who's busting his butt in behind to get the bike built and prepped and available on the floor. I, 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 I don't know how you would reward that. That would that would it wouldn't be fair. Um, I, I don't believe in it. And and I think it would be a slap in the face to all those other staff members and team members that worked together to help that customer and then one other person gets the commission so small anecdotal uh story i used to work as a bus boy back at the heritage inn in Tabor, alberta and uh the servers wouldn't uh tip out the bus boy which was me and after a while that became a bone of contention obviously and there was one server that actually tipped me out and guess whose tables got cleared immediately and got poured coffee and everything else it's it's very true and and so good of you to recognize that you mentioned that uh something about commission makes makes it more believable so just explain a little bit of what you mean by how how that relates well i i've been into stores where i i know the staff are are paid on commission and a major portion of their of their payment is commission and I'm not sure if they're selling me something because it happens to be the hot product for the day and they get a, a higher percentage of, of commission from that, whether it's a discontinued product that they want to clear out. So there's extra bonus points for that. But our staff, when they hand their card over or talk to the customer, mention, you know, we're not a, we're, we're not commissioned salespeople. So if I'm not around, you know, hey, someone else here will be more than happy to help you. And I believe it it presents more believability in if a staff member is selling a bike to you, um, they're not pushing you the wrong product because, well, that's that's the hot button for the day and they're going to get a little bit more uh, payment from that. It's they're selling you what they believe you need f- 
and you know listening to your your use of that product and providing their expertise regardless of whether you buy it or not mm -hmm. they want to sell you the right product so there's an authenticity with the fact that they are not commissioned and they're just selling you for the experience of biking because I think the one key when when you are especially looking at people, they have to love cycling for number one. And number two is they have to believe in the product. And I think if they're non-commissioned, that means they're just going to select whatever product matches that person's experience and that kind of thing. So is that what you're saying? Yes. And, and I think there's a reluctance maybe for a commissioned salesperson to pull over someone else that knows a product better. You know, if somebody's looking for a high-end full suspension bike, yes, I bike and I bike for years, but I'm not as knowledgeable on the detailed aspects of some of those higher-end bikes. So I'll pull over one of the other staff and, and pass that over to them. And there's a lot more teamwork, like you'll pull another staff member in to, you know, maybe provide additional information. And I, I, I don't see that working very well if each person was commissioned. So uh, you have a lot of people listening right now that might operate a business and are thinking, well, wait a second, how do I keep track of, of who's doing what? Because performance shows up in the numbers. So they're able to go, okay, based on Bob got, you know, 20,000 in sales. So, so Bob's the number one employee and salesperson. How do you measure if, if you don't exactly have a, a, you know, a math plan behind this, any metrics? You know, I have a whole list. I, I, it's too bad I didn't bring it here, but it's a list of about 10 or 12 items that, that impact a bonus. And yes, it's not always black and white, but there are various metrics out there available to, to um, assess the productivity and the performance of individuals. Uh, you know, enthusiasm plays high on the list. Uh, willingness to help one another among the staff as well as the customers how fast do you greet them and take care of them and and genuinely do it and you know there's a lot of it but say uh, you know jack gets gets you know twice or triple the sales of someone else but they're just purely sales they're not picking up the phone that much someone else is grabbing the phone or someone else is uh, in the back working on orders and then when it's really busy they'll come out and help on the sales i have to weigh that into the whole formula as well like they've contributed but in a different way Mm. So they're also valuable. I mean, I obviously need uh, uh, knowledgeable staff members to be making sure that we are ordering product in time that we don't run out. So that's an important skill as well. Um, we need the bikes fixed and we need them, the mechanics to be dealing with the customers in a, in a great way that they walk out with that great experience. So, so, so you work on the floor. Would you say that uh, a manager can also handle this this uh, accountability function of your brain, which is because you're keeping track of all of this? How are you getting that information if you don't work on the floor? I, I think then a manager, a senior manager, um, and and it, it's very important that it not be a popularity contest that you're giving, oh, your favorite employee because you like to spend time with them or you like to go out for a beer with them or ride with them that, oh, I'm going to give them a little bit more because I, I kind of hang out with them. It, 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 it can't be that. It can't be a popularity contest. So, you know, whoever's doing it, whether it's a manager or a supervisor, they have to make sure that, uh, hey, check your ego at the door here and look at it from a, you know, a business perspective. Gary, let's talk about the word nepotism. <laughs> your, your son works for you. And, uh, and, and just full disclosure, I know Eric very well. He's actually a good kid. And, but that doesn't always happen in a business. What have you done right with, with, a, you know, with a son growing up in a family business? Because a lot of people have their offspring working there and it's not such a good environment. Um, what things have you done right? And, and, uh, and, and maybe what things would you have done differently? I guess let's, let's chat with chat about that. Well, I think it's important that they gain the respect of the other staff, the, you know, the employees and by, you know, be willing to do everything from the ground up. Now, my son happened to be working there when he was just a, you know, a young sprout, maybe eight, nine, ten years old. He was the shop grom. He he was, you know, stepped on by everybody there and treated, uh, I won't say poorly, but, you know, uh, 
And, 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 you know, the unfortunate thing is when he starts that young, he's always looked at as, oh, the young kid. And whereas, you know, that was 20 years ago now. <laughs> and uh, and he's a lot more knowledgeable and and has developed a skill set of dealing with customers and other staff members and 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 uh, you know a key part of our our ordering process for bikes. So um, I, I think you you can't treat them uh, differently. We have well you you do treat them differently, but. Um, I think they still have to be accountable for their actions. They can't be coming in late. Uh, they can't have a different set of rules to, to play by. How, how do the other people, because you get new hires all the time, but how do those people react to the, the owner's son? Um, I think as actually as time goes on and we, we have new hires come in, um, I think they, they understand his place. He's, you know, quite capable individual and uh respect him and listen to him mm -hmm. so and but you have to prove yourself i'll confide in in him with uh, operations of the business uh if i've had a an issue that i've dealt with as far as uh, personnel goes i'll really re relate that conversation to him to try to develop that expertise within him i think in any business and you talk to business owners it's almost a common thread for everybody dealing with the staff and employees is the most challenging part of the business. Uh, yes, the business selling products or whatever type of service you're providing is important, but the most challenging, it seems, across the board is is the day-to-day -day operation of the, of the employees, of the staff. Would you ever fire your son? Oh, if it came to it, yes. Uh, yeah, sure I would. That would hurt. That would really hurt. Mm -hmm. I hope um, by this point, it, it's never, well, I, I can't see it happening unless there was, I don't know, some kind of major riff. But um, I, I suppose I would have to. But, um, you know, it's not like I want to be in the business for the next 10 or 20 years. Um, I put in my time and I'll have to slowly phase myself out. So, you know, my hope is that uh, he will fill my shoes as I uh, vacate those little Gary, we've seen uh, an, you know, gas prices uh, go through the roof, um, and we'll, we'll chat more about that in a bit. But um, e-bikes, as a result, have uh, risen in sales in the last few years, especially through COVID and everything else. Is uh, Have you seen people use their e-bikes year-round? Like, is, is it actually possible for them to do that, or is that just is that blue sky thinking? I, I think it is. There are a number of people and have been for years, um, avid cyclists that, that for whatever reason, either they're very anti-car and green, pro-green and eco uh, and ride their bike year-round. It, it, it is a challenge to ride in Kelowna year-round. There are a couple months where, you know what, it's not a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And so would we see people... 12 months of the year, it depends a lot on how long the commute is mm -hmm. and where exactly they live. I happen to live in Lake Country. Would I commute into town every day? Not likely, but I do have a, a, a very good customer and friend that did it for his whole career. Um, he rode in from Lake Country and now sometimes even had a side trip uh, to West Kelowna and back with his bike. Wow. He put tens of thousands of kilometers on his bike. And uh, I would see him, you know, riding along the highway at Duck Lake and all bundled up in the middle of winter in the snow. So he was extreme and I, I really admire him. But I, I think realistically i think nine ten months of the year you can definitely commute okay because that that's part of it too is that i think we have pretty good arterial roads and and bike paths that go throughout the city psychopaths might one might say <laughs> um but i find it interesting that from november to about february that's a really tough slog and i was just wondering if you know if, if there's a people that have actually dressed for that and they're and they do that year round. So you've answered that. There's actually a certain portion that will commute to work no matter what the weather's doing. You can certainly dress for it. There's no doubt. I mean, there are people that ride year round in Edmonton and they have a much more severe winter than we do. The thing in Kelowna with all of the bike lanes is you pretty well can't ride the bike lanes in the wintertime. The, they're not cleared. 
Um, the sand and grit and crud gets into the bike lanes and it's impossible to ride in them. Now you're riding in the same lane as a car is driving in. It's dangerous. If you're riding the rail trail, that's a different story. Right. Um, and, and just going off of the, uh, the e-bikes, is there, is there one thing that surprised you about uh, the kinds of people that are buying e-bikes? Is there any, anybody that walks in where you go, wow, I, I didn't expect to sell an e-bike to that person? Uh, I find it um, interesting. Uh, interesting is a you know a strange word. You can take that in so many different ways. But um, that the age has come down significantly in who are buying the e-bikes. Yes, we still have you know your older population, forty-five and up, definitely. And and it was the older um, demographic that first embraced it. But it's it's slowly filtered all the way down into people in their twenties. And uh, and it doesn't mean that they're unfit or or lazy, but it it it's just um, interesting that that they've embraced that technology as well. Hmm. I was going up Crawford with a friend of mine. I was on my e bike. He was on his manual bike because he's um, much better cyclist than I am. And and I found it enjoyable. And then we were passed by a gentleman who was bigger. Like he was uh, he was a big boned individual. And he passed us. And my friend on the manual bike said something. It wasn't derogatory, but it was more off off handed. Which was, well, it must be nice, or well, see at the top, you know, and, and or something like that. And and as we're riding, we chat. Uh, because he's in good enough shape that he can chat on a manual bike. I'm I'm not as good a shape, so but we have this good conversation. So while we're riding, after that comment, I said to him, you know, I, I think you got to give people uh, some more credit. Um, I said we don't know his story, you know, and 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 he he kind of you know battered back and forth. We get to the top. This fellow um, was sitting there panting and and. Uh, and again, my friend said something like, geez, it must be nice. And geez, did you exert any energy or something like that? I said, I said, I got to say good on you for being out here and, and biking. And the guy says, I would never have done this without this bike. He says, I've lost 26 pounds. I'm getting out here every day. There's no excuses for me anymore. And it was just a really heartwarming story because I know there's still some purists that say, okay, e-bikes are not actual bikes. They're, you know, there's something different. What is your opinion of that? Because you've probably seen a, a ton of people that maybe haven't been cycling and maybe they look at this. Well, we live in a very hilly, mountainous area. We're in a valley. So anywhere we go, unless we go up and down the valley, if you go to the sides, you have to climb. Unless you have great cardio and you're doing some type of cardio workout four or five times a week, you're not getting up those hills on a bike. Tough enough walking up them. So, and a lot of our mountain biking areas are also very hilly and it takes, a, you know, it takes a good fitness level to get up there. So people just don't do it if they don't have an e-bike. So now the e-bike is opened up to, to a whole slew of people that can, they can now get out there and you can still get a workout. Better to be pedaling and getting some assistance than not pedaling at all. Or people were putting the bikes on the back of their vehicles, driving down to the valley, riding their bike, putting it back on the car and driving back up. Okay, mm. how much exercise is that? Now mm. the people are riding down, riding back up again and riding in the valley. So it, it opens it up to people like I went out riding and, you know, I, I tend to do, I do most of my riding, road riding on a, a non-e-bike. But I went out with a, a few good riders, my son, his girlfriend and one of our staff. And there are three very strong excellent riders and i used an e-bike and i we rode all together we had a great time it was an hour and a half two hour ride i got a good workout they got a good workout and we all had fun is that bad huh, i don't think so <laughs> well said gary you have a number of different employees that have experienced some level of uh the housing shortage uh low cost and and some of them it's really really difficult for them to rent it's really difficult for them to find a place that fits within their range and i know a lot of people are experiencing that across the valley you had an interesting perspective about what some some things we could review uh which actually might help the whole you know lack of housing and and what was that idea 
Well, again, it, it's my personal opinion, and I don't have any, you know, a, a lot of information to back it up other than, you know, speaking to a lot of different people on a regular basis. But, and it hurts me to see how expensive it is for our staff to live here in the Okanagan. And I, I, I pride myself on paying my staff well, and they're still finding it challenging. And, you know, I, I've been around in business long enough that, that I know that there's never one solution for any major problem. For little problems, maybe there is. But for larger problems, it's a, it's a number of different, different solutions to it. And one of the things that, that came to my attention in, in when I was riding the other day talking to a, a friend of mine and who is a landlord, and he just was absolutely shafted by his tenant, and he's spending thousands of dollars to fix up the house that this bad tenant, I'll say, vacated. And, and I believe the Landlord Tenancy Act is it's onerous. It's very one-sided to the tenant. And, and, you know, maybe we needed that at one time. Maybe you had terrible landlords that were treating their tenants, you know, just terrible. Mm -hmm. And so they, they went to the extreme. And, and if you look at these people renting out their, uh, their places for short-term rentals, I mean, look at it. There's no, they can kick the people out. They come with a rating so they can check that person out on, on their rating from previous uh, uh, landlords, we'll say. And, and so they can make extra money, obviously, in, in four, five, six days, make as much as they could with a, uh, a longer-term rental. But they don't have the issues if a tenant is bad. And I think that has to be re-looked at. I think it has to be modernized. And I'm not saying it make, make it totally. There are bad landlords out there. There's no doubt. But there are a lot of bad tenants. And it has to be looked at in a, in a better way and some, some type of solution come to to make it more encouraging for homeowners to rent out an apartment, a basement apartment, uh, you know, a back uh, laneway apartment. So if you're, you're saying that if we revisit this act and actually make it more balanced, and I'll use the word balanced, you might actually have a lot more places open up because people have heard the horror stories and, and nightmare stories of bad tenants with no means whatsoever to get them out of there. So a lot of people are going, I'm not renting out anything on my property until because I, I don't know if I could ever get them out of there. And and so you're saying if we revisit even the act perhaps then we would actually open up a whole host of, of new accommodation. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a start. That's not going to be the only solution. It's like the drug problem. It's going to be multifaceted. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that's just one piece, you know. And then short-term rentals. I mean, they have to treat them like a, a hotel. Hotel has to pay tax, has to, you know, they pay employees, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, um, that has to be looked at as well. It has to be a, an even playing field. So it would actually open up a revenue stream for a lot of things because I think a lot of places don't pay any tax because they don't rent it. And so it would actually be, it would, uh, that would actually be another revenue stream for the government. Yes. Potentially. Okay. Uh, you know, sometimes that's where the ideas start is just on the conversational level. And then, you know, we don't, <laughs> again, we don't have a lot of backing, but I think you might be onto something. So, Gary, we've talked about some heavier issues and, and everything else, but uh, I want to want to find out you've been married for so long that I, I think there's a there's got to be a successful formula there. What is it for maintaining? Because I've seen you two together and and it seems like there's you guys have a great relationship. What what would you suggest is one of the great keys for a great, long, successful marriage? I think common values core values obviously uh you know you can have differences and you can have different uh, hobbies but but i think your core the core has to be the same you know i'm i'm not a a spendy type of person i'm not a glitzy you know wear the fanciest of clothes or or, or wear uh, have to have a brand new car i'm not that kind of person i'm you know somewhat frugal but 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 i think if if your partner isn't they're the opposite in some of your core beliefs I think it'd be hard to maintain a long-term relationship and marriage. I think that's pretty that's pretty important. Uh, communication, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, I think working in business together, it can be a negative. It can be a positive. It can definitely add a lot more stress. Well, I was just going to ask that is you work side by side with your spouse and a lot of people 
listening right now are going, there's no way. <laughs> so, so communication would be the key. You probably have a moment outside of work to communicate what's going on, you know, personally and with the business. Is that, does it ever feel like, do you have a rule? We don't talk about business after, after we get home or is that just... Well, I was going to mention it earlier. It, it's when you have your own business, it's very difficult. I would say almost impossible to separate that from your the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. It's an integral part of your life, especially, you know, a family business and with other family members involved in it. Uh, discussions will you try to keep it out if you're you know having a Sunday dinner or a, some type of a celebration. You don't want to be dwelling on work issues, especially if there's some negativity in the conversation. Uh, but it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's difficult to keep it out. Yeah. <laughs> so compartmentalizing may not be the thing. For well, the yeah, yeah, it, it might not. I, I mean, there are some things I'll, I'll do or don't do to try to, um, you know, to isolate it and not think about it. You don't want to be thinking about work in the middle of the night. And well, although you, a business owner typically does that quite often, but you, you do have to be able to compartmentalize at times and it, it just, it's challenging doing it. Okay. We have a, a, a government, a provincial government that believes in, uh, in, in minimum wage. And, and just from your standpoint as a business owner, You've seen your your costs escalate because that is obviously a part of uh, a part of your business operations. Does it help or hinder? I mean, you pay your your people probably better than most bike shops, but does it help or hinder what what you think business owners are are trying to accomplish? And is this something we need to look at long term? Like, are they high enough? Are they low enough? Should we you know continue to look at this? Like, wh- what is your views on minimum wage? That's a, I know it's a sensitive topic that a lot of people will, may, may or may not jump on me on, on, but I believe the minimum wage should be lower. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't pay a living wage to those people who are full-time employees and that's their livelihood. But I hire these junior kids that know nothing. Mm-hmm. And I have to... I'm basically paying my experienced staff to spend time with them, training them to get them up to speed. And, and, you know, we're talking simple things here like, you know, refilling the tube, uh, um, you know, canister, uh, bike tubes or, you know, sweeping the floor, cleaning the windows and, you know, maybe organizing things. And and it, it takes it takes time to train them to get them to build, develop a good work ethic. And years ago, the government had a 500-hour, um, it was a training wage. And, and I'm not trying to take advantage of any kids. If a kid is a good employee, I will pay them. And they don't have to ask for a wage increase. I'll give them it at, at appropriate times when they're stepping up and doing a better job. I'm not looking to try to gouge little kids, or, but I just be fair to the businesses on those junior people entering that work market um there was a 500 or 500 hour training wage that was less than the minimum wage and once they hit the 500 hours you know what they're pretty valuable by that time and maybe at 400 hours i relook at it and and pay them more but right now i i hire less kids mm-hmm. so it's been it's, it's been negative i don't I have like one person making minimum wage and that's a junior person that doesn't know a heck of a lot. And they're just so happy to have that job. They're living at home. That's the people that we employ. They're, they're not working full time. It's, they're not trying to survive on this wage. I believe in, in paying a live, a living wage. Absolutely. And I actually looked at the living wage that's recommended for BC and I think it's too low. Mm-hmm. Um, but the minimum wage is something different. That's not a, that's not a living wage and it's a training wage effectively so you're saying if one and one sometimes doesn't equal two like you're saying if somebody comes on their junior and they don't actually have the experience you, you you're taking a senior person to show them the ropes so now you've detracted from that person's productivity as well as helping somebody that's a probably a 1.5 1.4 out of a two and and actually it, it actually takes a big draw on the business because you're still paying that person that yeah and it it hurts in another way is that if i have to pay for a few junior people at that wage and they're being paid too much i can't pay 
the very good people who need more money mm-hmm. or or deserve more money. And so it, it the, you know, the dollars have to come from somewhere. In our business and in most uh, small businesses, wages are the biggest expense that you have. It far surpasses rent. And so um, you have to try to keep that under control. And you, there's a lot of different ways of doing it. But when you have to pay uh, such a high minimum wage, um, it, it, it just it ties our hands a little bit and it makes it a lot more challenging. Okay, so th- for those policymakers, uh, we've we've chatted about this. Now put it on the agenda. <laughs> I don't know where this question is going to go, but that's part of the fun of, of doing this Rick and Friends show. Um, you just finished a major renovation. How uh, and and people that are looking at undertaking a renovation for their maybe their home or their office or whatever else is there anything you glean from that whole process? Because I know it took a long time. Is there anything you could offer some advice to somebody looking at renovating their their business or their office? Well, I put a lot of thought, a lot of time, a lot of hours into that whole expansion. And I stared at those blueprints hours after hours with little sticky note to scale sticky note pieces of, okay, this is where the workbench is going and, and is this enough space? And, you know, you have to plan it out and, uh, you know, you can't plan everything a hundred percent before you start the building, but you do a lot of planning beforehand and keep a close eye on that renovation don't think that because you're handing money to a company that that's what they do day in and day out this is your building and you know probably better than anyone else how exactly you want it and make sure you follow that and there are times when i said whoa whoa what's going on here and oh they misread something or they misunderstood something or or while it's going you you think you have the plan all dialed you realize that as it's coming along oh my gosh i need to change something here and you know we did that a few times you like to try to keep that down to a minimum because it's expensive i was the general contractor for our our house construction a number of years ago and uh i did the same thing there. I looked over it, looked over the plans. I knew there were so little changes that we made during construction. So it's in the planning. But I saw you challenge a few times when you got a receipt and you said, whoa, whoa, wait a second. Uh, this is, you know, you, you were actually on the ground, boots on the ground, as they say. And I think that helped you immensely in, in controlling the cost because you saw it as soon as it happened. Oh, yeah. You, I mean, sometimes there's uh, mistakenly uh, bumped up numbers on an invoice. Sometimes it's intentional. Maybe they think they can snow you with something. And I'm not saying they're, they're dishonest, but, you know, they have to make a dollar or two. And anyhow, so uh, it's a negotiation. And I've never tried to negotiate it where they're not making money. They have to make money. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, hey, don't go overboard. Let's be fair. Let's work together. And uh, uh, very rare. Rarely will I argue somebody down in a price if they've, you know, stand by and show me what they're doing. Hey, that's all the power to it. Just do a great job. Do it as you say you're going to do it. And uh, it's, it's a, I, I believe it's a team team work. I, same as our suppliers. It's a, we're, we're a team. I need my suppliers. They need me. We need each other. So the same thing when when you're working with a contractor or a designer or a renovator, um, you're working together and it shouldn't be adversarial. Uh, Just one last thought about that. Tell me about the reason why you pay the way you do suppliers. Like why is why is that such a big benefit to you? You know, I, I want to make it clear, and I and I do, you know, verbally, but also in my actions that that I respect my my suppliers. I um, expect them to respect me. I will be honest with them, and I expect the same in return. I don't want them loading me up with product that I can't sell, because if I can't sell it, well, how do I pay the bills then? And then I distrust them. So it's important for us to choose suppliers that we like to work with. And there are times when there are some better products out there that we could carry, but we won't because 
we don't agree with maybe the sales rep and the distribution company and their whole philosophy and way of doing business in supporting us and and in turn allowing us to be able to support our customers. So it's uh, it's a I believe it's a true partnership. Gary, you've uh, you, you've done a lot of things in this city, but. Tell me about what the summer holds for somebody that works as much as you do. <laughs> like, are you actually going to, are you a camper? Like, do you go anywhere? Do you do anything outside of work other than just work and think about working and, and work some more? Like, <laughs> do, you, do you do anything else? Well, you know, one of my hobbies is woodworking. I have a pretty dialed woodworking shop. So it's been nice with the renovation that I, in, in some of my spare time, my quiet time, I put on the tunes in the woodworking shop and I'll make things that they go into the shop, like all the workbenches and various other little things that are required. And uh, we'll come up with a design and then I'll make it. And so I enjoy doing that it's different than working in the store itself and so I, I like doing that but the summertime yeah it's pretty busy it's pretty hands-on and uh, yeah I'll take a couple little sort of mini mini vacations you know four or five days kind of thing um, but uh, and and I'm you know trying to bike more this uh, I don't know delayed spring delayed summer um, has put a damper on getting out there and doing biking so I'm hoping to get more biking done this summer that way I can you know at least uh, be active and be out there with maybe some of the customers and friends and and uh, get out there and spin the pedals you know what's interesting though is in a, I've often said this is that unless you have uh, something that pulls your intention and and really makes you purposeful outside of work i think it's going to be tough for people to find that balance that we all try to do between work and and life and and if woodworking does it is it so immersive that you you don't think about work or is it is it a nice balance for you? Well, it's a nice balance. I, I can think about work while I'm doing that sometimes. I mean, if you're sanding a piece of wood or planing something or, I mean, when, when you're cutting with, with, with power tools, you better pay attention. You better not let your mind drift. But when you're doing some of the less, like maybe you're painting or sanding and, that, you know, you can let your mind drift and think about a lot of different things. Um but as I said before, I I enjoy being with people and meeting people, and uh, woodworking is a very solitude type of activity. And uh, yeah, I like doing it, but I wouldn't want to do it eight hours a day, six days a week, or five days a week. Would you go broke doing it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Google reviews—they've controlled our lives for for uh, a few years now. What happens, and I'm not saying you do, but let's say you get the odd bad Google review from from just a, you know, it could be based on something or it could be just somebody trying to attack you. How do you handle a bad Google review? Because I know it bothers you incessantly. Well, I, I, I truly believe in providing good customer service. It's, uh, I'm not just, you know, beating on the drum here. I, I truly believe it. And if we haven't done that, and I'm not saying a one-star Google review we haven't deserved. Mm -hmm. And uh, I take it very seriously. I, I bring it up with the staff, try to find out more details about, you know, who took care of that particular individual and, um, and why we dropped the ball. And if possible, most cases I'm able to get a hold of them or we can send them a message. I like to talk to them personally. So you take it offline? Oh, yes, yes. I, I don't believe in, in. I mean, we'll, we'll respond publicly on Google, but I typically um, do my best to try to get a hold of them personally okay. and, uh, and speak to them, um, apologize if we've dropped the ball and try to make it right. And have you turned um, a number of these around? I have turned one stars into five. And I, I think a lot of times people, people, they want to be heard. They want to, you know, they want just somebody to say sorry. And, and sometimes people are so reluctant to just say, ah, sorry, I screwed up, mm -hmm. man. I, I, you know, I've taught and, and also to bringing it up with maybe the staff member that, that didn't do a great job. And, uh, and we talk about it at our monthly staff meetings as well. I mean, we want to, do you bring that up in front of the staff or is that a private conversation? Um, I, it depends on the, on the, you know, the, the comment or the, the, the review, um, I will, I mean, I don't want to ream somebody out, um, publicly in front of all the staff. I don't think that does anything for anybody. Uh, so I, yeah, if it's a, if it's a contentious issue, definitely, you know, behind closed doors, um, you know, sit down and, and, you know, discuss it in a mature way, not, you know, yelling at an individual. I don't believe in that either. Um, but sometimes just the gist of it, and especially if maybe a one star is targeted at me, which it has 
has been in the past. I'll bring it up at the staff meeting to point the finger at me as to what I did wrong and how I shouldn't have done it and how to, you know, how we have to look at that. It's a learning experience. And, you know, we try as much as we can, but, you know, the staff gets stretched at times in any business. They get stretched and it, it's tough to keep a smile on your face and be helpful all the time. And, you know, you're beat down, but maybe oh, a couple of grumpy customers in a row and it's like, oh, somebody just pokes at you in the wrong way and ah you know it doesn't come out right <laughs> and you're sorry you might have said it but uh you know it's 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 difficult it's challenging but you know we we work hard at it owning it i think is the key and i think you're you're bang on with that assessment enjoyed the heck out of today i uh, appreciate it so much for you coming in i want to say one word and just see what your reaction is amazon i think amazon had its purpose or use back in its infancy but it's grown into something much bigger than i think all of us most of us realize and it has an impact on everybody everywhere almost um every business in Kelowna is impacted by amazon i think when somebody quickly orders something on amazon they don't realize they're taking it away from a business here that pays rent hires local employees pays taxes to the municipal government. They are so strong and so large now. They're strong-arming suppliers and distributors and businesses to not sell to certain channels. They're influencing them to where that's way too much power for one company. But, but Gary, it's convenient. I One click, I, I get it on my doorstep within you know a day if I'm prime membership. So, I mean, uh, I, I would try looking, but I don't want to burn the gas to go down and find it, and I might not find it. What, what do you say to those people? Most proactive companies offer online sales locally. You know, you can buy whatever you want in our store. Bicycles are the exception. You have to pick them up in store. And I think there's very good reason for that. Um, so that I'm not shipping around the country to other areas and impacting other territories that carry that particular bike line. But more importantly, we've had customers that bought bikes online, came in the store, and they bought the wrong size. And in some cases, they bought the wrong bike. That's what we're there for. We do provide a local service. Yes, if you're buying a, you know, a commodity like... I don't know, uh, a bicycle tube, you know, sure, you could order that online if you want, but um, you have still, there's 50, 60, 70 different kinds of tubes. You make sure you get the right one. And we see a lot of people coming in, oh, I bought these shoes on Amazon. Will you, will you exchange them for me? And we try to, you know what, we, most of the time we'll do it. And we do it to gain that customer mm-hmm. and, and teach them that, that, or show them, not teach them so much, but show them that, hey, we have great service and you know what, support us. Maybe maybe it's a few bucks more. Um, and it's the same thing locally. Now there's some hard to find items, you know, you have an obscure DVD or a, or a CD, for those of you who remember what those things are. Uh, you can't get it locally. Maybe you could order it, maybe you can't. Uh, maybe an obscure book that's not carried in print anymore, not carried by a bookstore. Okay, yeah, sure, fine. But people are ordering so much. Oh, I'm ordering five different pairs. I'll try what I want on and then send back the rest. Well, yeah, okay. And, and you know, I, my one voice here is not going to impact most people into not doing that. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyway. I, I wound you up with the one word oh yeah absolutely <laughs> so anyway i i do appreciate it and message well received and i do think that there's something to be said for you know what if people take the extra step and i do it with my kids all the time i say just please 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 do your due diligence then then we can look at uh that nasty word gary norcom thank you so much for today i i've as always i appreciate it thanks very much rick i enjoy being on